Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see so many here this, today. I remember the first time I heard the story of Paul's conversion. I was about 10 or 11 at St. Ambrose Elementary School in Chevrolet, Maryland. And yes, Ski, I do remember back that far. <laughs> Boy, was I impressed. The whole so story is so colorful and full of action and imagery. I could easily imagine a young man hell-bent on chasing the poor Christians being knocked off his horse, blinded by an unimaginably bright light, standing in darkness and confusion. A voice out of nowhere asks, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And with that question, the persecutor became the apostle. I remember thinking how great it would be to be knocked over by God, to really get gobsmacked and know who I was and what was expected of me. I was also wondered why Jesus had picked such a man, a person who delighted in killing and torturing his followers, yet surrounded by God's radiance, blinded by a new truth, Saul became Paul, chosen to spread the word of those he had tried to destroy. I asked my teacher, the very formidable Sister Elise, why did God pick Saul? Because, she said, God knew what he was doing. <laughs> End of discussion. In reading about Paul's conversion, however, I was directed toward our reading this morning in his letter toward the, to the Galatians. In this letter, Paul speaks of going into Arabia after his conversion experience. He stayed, he said, for three years. Does not say what he did there. Some of the scholars I read believe he preached and moved around the region. Others say that he used this time to process what had happened to him. That region is not a very fruitful place to gather people around. It also makes a lot of sense to me that after such an experience, he would have needed time to reflect, to think, to decide what this call meant to him, how to deal with such a massive change in his life. As one writer said, Paul probably experienced the conversion of faith, followed three years later, by conversion of mind and life. This, to me, is the real story of what happened on the road to Damascus. It was a conversion, not just of faith, not just of acceptance of Jesus, but a total change of his life and his mind. A mind so huge that it changed our church and the direction that church would take. They say that Paul traveled over 10,000 miles in his four journeys around the Roman world. He is credited with 13 books or letters in our scriptures and was, to my way of thinking, and I hope not disrespectfully, the first great public relations professional. God did indeed know what he was doing. Of course, we know of others whom God called and who don't seem to be good candidates for the job. Remember Jacob? Manipulator supreme, contemptuous of the need for God, even wrestling with him in some kind of weird holy contest. Or David, 
who couldn't seem to keep his tunic zipped, and he seemed to be an example of everything a king should not be. They were chosen by God for missions that changed our own salvation. And both, like many in the great story we hear every week, took time to let the message sink in, to reflect upon it, and to try and accept what it would mean for them. Many did this, even Jesus. And I suspect many of us. Last week we read the story of Cana, the first miracle of Jesus. How it showed not only who Jesus was to his followers there, but how it illustrated the tremendous sharing of light and power that was Jesus. Father Peter talked about miracles and gifts, about how the church, because of the work of Jesus, is standing in God's radiance. I loved that. Standing in God's radiance. And how Paul and others went out taking that radiance with them. We share in that. And now we too must go out taking it with us. We don't necessarily have to be wait to be knocked off our metaphorical horses, but we are called to make the commitment to begin that journey. And as Paul learned, it isn't a one-time thing. It goes on and on and on, for him and for us. Last week we also read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He talked about gifts, gifts of the Spirit, and how we are called, we are chosen, sometimes before we're even born, to recognize those gifts, share them, use them for the common good. We are all blessed with gifts of the Spirit, some that are apparent to us early on, some that we need to search out, some that others identify for us and in us. They have been given to us as they were given to Saul of Tarsus, and they are, like Saul, ours to recognize and to use. And they, too, go on and on and on. So here we all sit, waiting for our yearly meeting to reflect on what we have done as a parish and what we hope to do. To celebrate the successes. To seek out what we can do better. Honor our past leaders and welcome new ones. To think a bit, I hope, about Paul, his conversion, his acceptance of the tremendous change it meant, his journeys, his words and admonitions to the young churches he helped to form, to go out, to bring the word, to join together with others for the common good. I look around this building, seeing the faces of those I have known for years, and those I am just getting to know. I think about gifts and how all of us in this congregation, in this room, have them in such abundance. I wonder how many of us recognize them in ourselves and each other. I wonder if we all have the courage to point them out to others who might not realize what they have or what potential they have to offer. If you take a few seconds to look around this room, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Can we be the voice of Jesus, telling ourselves and each other to get up, to stand on our feet, to serve and testify to the things he has done for us? We surely can't knock each other off our pews, and we can't expect any blinding light or heavenly whispers to guide us. 
what the annual meeting can do, I think, is give us a chance to let that light in a bit more. To sit in fellowship with each other and work, and without taking a trip into a desert for a few months or a few days, allow the call and commitment we all have received to grow and flower. To honestly look at ourselves and acknowledge the gifts we have been given and have the courage to know how best to use them to do, as Jesus said, the work of standing up and going out. It's not an easy thing to do, as Paul found out, to accept such a call from God. It means not just a testament of faith, but the courage to take the first steps on a journey to make our little church here in Venetia bigger and stronger, both inside and more importantly, outside these walls. So let us all go out, surrounded by that amazing radiance to love and serve our Lord. <laughs>